Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stories About Autism podcast. My name's James and each week I get to speak to a special guest who tells me their own story about autism. I get to speak to autistic adults, parents of children with autism and professionals who work with people in the autism community too. I write the blog Stories About Autism where I tell stories about what life's like being a dad to my two boys who are both autistic. So this is just a chance to get to speak to some other people and find out what their lives are like too. Now firstly I need to apologise because there's been a bit of a gap uh, between this episode and the previous episode and to be honest life has just got in the way. Um, This is something I do in my spare time and with school holidays, uh, meetings at school and quite a few social occasions in the last month which has been rare but it's been great to be able to get to. It's just meant that uh, I've not been able to get as much done. (laughs) So uh, I apologise. I've got lots of episodes lined up and it'll be back to normal as of now. Secondly, a couple of weeks ago I was lucky enough to win a blogging award for my Stories About Autism site. Um, which is thanks to many of you who are listening now. So I just wanted to take a chance to say thank you. Uh, For those of you who don't know, it was uh, was called the BAPS Award, which uh, might be an unfortunate name, but it stands for Bloody Awesome Parents, and it's for bloggers who talk about special needs. Uh, I was lucky enough to win uh, Most Supportive Blogger, which really is an honour when I think about it, because of... It really means that uh, people really enjoy what I write and it means that it really helps them and the time I take to answer messages and and to comment and stuff, uh, it's it's really, really worthwhile. So thank you. At the awards, I also got to meet uh, Charlie, um, Charlie Beswick, who is on episode two of the podcast. So it was really nice to, to meet her. And I got to have a beer with Kevin. As you may know, if you listen to episode three, um, I already know Kevin autism from a dad's eye view but it was great that we got to meet up again and loads of other bloggers there too who got to meet for the first time or or, um, see again after going to the awards last year and it's just great to all be in a room and be around like-minded people and get a chance to celebrate so it was a lot of fun on to this episode Um, i'm lucky enough to be speaking with chris bonello who is from the blog autistic not weird now chris is Probably, I think, the first blog of an autistic adult that I've read and followed, um, going back three, four years now. Uh, I sort of found his blog on Facebook, I think, um, started reading some of his posts, and yeah, got some really, really good insight into what life's like for him, and it really helped me with, with Jude and Tommy too, helped me to understand autism a bit more and apply a few things that I read with how I am with, with Jude and Tommy and, and take that knowledge and and make life a bit bit easier. So it's, it was great to get to talk to him in person. Uh, I'm sure, you know, when, when you listen to the interview, you're going to find it really interesting too. Chris was diagnosed quite late as an adult uh, as being autistic. So we get to talk about um, what went on in his childhood, uh how the diagnosis was missed and and you know what it meant for him when he was younger and then what it's meant for him since after his diagnosis and how that's enabled him to understand himself a bit more and to you know create a new career for himself and and everything that he does so some really really good things to to listen to and, and look out for so thank you again for listening 
if you do, please, please, please get a chance. Could you leave a review for me on iTunes just to help more people find the podcast? And I really hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is with Chris Bonello. Okay. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. No, I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. I've been following your, well, obviously we've sort of known each other online for a while now, but I've been following your blog for, for, for a while. And yeah, I'm really excited to, to get to hear your story. Thank you. So do you want to get started if you just let everyone know a little bit more about you? Okay. So I'm a former primary school teacher. I currently work as a, um, uh, well, a writer for Autistic Not Weird, and I'm also a special needs tutor. I used to work in special ed as well as primary schools. And Autism Not Weird is basically a website and a Facebook community where I talk about autism from both the personal perspective and a professional perspective. And it's gone slightly well. Um, <laughs> uh, 77,500 Facebook followers, 1.5 million page hits, and I started off uh, World Autism Awareness Month by giving a talk in Sydney Opera House of all places. So it's rather bizarre how many weird twists my life has taken, really, but I see that's more than anything else as a reflection of how much demand there is out there from people who want to learn about autism. So I'm really glad to be a part of this massive acceptance drive that's taken off these last few years. Yeah, I think going well is a bit of an understatement when you can mm. drop in that you've just done a speech in the Sydney Opera House. That's, <laughs> that's Yeah, it was something you did see six months ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as you said, your your blog and your, your Facebook page is, is doing incredibly well. And I think you're right. It's there does seem to it does seem to be a time of a real drive for autism acceptance, which is fantastic. Mm. I think it's a uh, it, it's not just an honour that we're in this position now to raise autism acceptance and everything. It's also a, a quite a big responsibility. I yeah. I occasionally finish my talks by saying that we're we're right now at a crossroads with autism understanding, where pretty much everyone has heard of autism, but not everyone knows what it means or how it affects people or the wide range of which it affects people and one way or another we are going to reach the other side of that crossroads and what autumn acceptance looks like when we reach the other side depends entirely on how we choose to talk about it now so it's uh, i may talk, uh, talk about how amazing it is that uh, i or we have all these opportunities but it comes with a heck of a lot of responsibility i think yeah that's true that's very true so if we start off by letting people know a little bit more about you and the, your actual diagnosis and obviously why you're in this position to be able to, yeah. to give such great information to people. Um, so what, when was it you were first diagnosed? Um, January the 11th, 2011, if I've, I've got the day right. Okay. So I was uh, 25 at the time. I found out about my autism about a year and a half before. My official diagnosis is Asperger's syndrome, but... I use the words autistic and Asperger's syndrome in my particular case interchangeably because I see one of them as a subset of the other. But yeah, I was assessed for autism at the age of four and that was 1989. We're very much back in the Rain Man days of understanding autism. Yeah. So um, no, we were told, uh, yeah, he's got, uh, got a speech delay and uh, uh, it, it was pretty much, a, I often say it was a damning report into my uh, development issues. But I definitely wasn't autistic because I didn't, well, I didn't have severe learning difficulties and I could, uh, I could talk, I could read, I could count. So 
uh, no, that's uh, not for autism. And then at the age of 10, 1995, got assessed, uh, not for autism, but they just want to understand how it could be, you know, how it could be so clever yet so socially inept. And they listed all the symptoms of the Spitz syndrome and called it slightly odd personality. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, thankfully, I didn't read these reports until after I found out I was autistic because I'm not quite sure how uh, how it would have impacted me. If, if someone had explained autism to me in a positive way when I was young, it would have really been helpful. But yeah. if my only understanding of autism had come from reading those reports, I don't want to know what kind of uh, self-perception I would have had growing up. That's a good point, actually, because I think automatically, uh, whenever I hear about someone who hasn't been diagnosed until they're an adult, I always think like, oh, wouldn't life have been much easier if they had been diagnosed earlier? But I guess if it was presented so negatively, then it, it could have the opposite effect. Well, there, there's the diagnosis and there, there's the way it's presented. Those are two entirely yeah. different things. And I am sick and tired of... Um, uh, I, I, I understand the argument behind it, but I'm still sick and tired when people say, I don't want, uh, want an autism diagnosis for my child because I don't want him to be labelled. Yeah. When their child might be labelled as the weird kid, I was labelled as having a slightly odd personality. They might be labelled as rude or socially inappropriate. At least, uh, if you go and get them a label, get uh, them one that's accurate and also potentially get, uh, gives them access to vital services. I think in basically every case, it's better to get the diagnosis, even mm. if you are not needing the services, because you don't know whether or not those services will be uh, relevant and important later on. But after that, yeah, the way you present it to a child is it, it can make a huge difference. And unfortunately, so, uh, some people never t uh, tell the, uh, their children about about the autism while they're growing up because they're afraid of a negative reaction. And unfortunately, often when they do find out, uh, it's a case of why did you keep this from me? It must have been yeah. something really bad if you kept it from me. Yeah, so that that's what I meant specifically was. I guess just in how, as you said, like the, the way it was being discussed, if it was presented to you at, at four years of age or 10 years of age and you've got that diagnosis and you've been made to feel that that way. You know, I'd, I'd... Once I minded the slightly odd part, I would have agreed with it. But, <laughs> uh, but the rest of it, like he can't do this, he can't do that. Yeah, well, uh, what about the 91 species of dinosaur that I can name from memory? Yeah. I mean, uh, why isn't that in the report? Uh, 91. Yeah. Exactly. I just got bored one day and started brainstorming. <laughs> I still remember the number plates of cars that cut out in front of my parents when I was 10 years old. And it's not because of, uh, I like holding grudges. I just don't get a choice in whether I remember it. Yeah. And uh, that stuff uh, doesn't make it into reports. My kindness as a human being wouldn't have made it in, into the reports. And So what was school like for you back then? Well, primary school was... Uh, was pretty good. I'm not, I'm not going to invent loads of uh, sob stories from my childhood because yeah. by and large, I had teachers who saw me for my strengths rather than my weaknesses and that helped enormously. That There were a few who just openly disliked me and uh, I think they probably thought it was a bit stupid but the, uh, the reason they probably thought that was because I didn't work for them. I, mean, but, uh, I didn't particularly feel motivated to work for people who didn't seem to have the level of respect for me that they seemed to have for the other children. Right. I worked extremely hard for uh, for the teachers who, uh, who, who, well, those who believed in me, basically. It, so it sounds like such a cliche, but 
uh, a team of adults believing in a young child or autism or not, that's going to help them. So school was okay for me because, well, to be blunt, it's because it was clever. I can't help but th- uh, think about the um, uh, people growing up with Asperger's syndrome around the same time back uh, back in the mid-90s who didn't have that academic flair in that time where people never really worried about how socially capable you were because it was intellect that counted because I bet, I bet their schools weren't half as positive about them. I seem to have, uh, I often feel like I kind of got away with it because of how clever I was. Yeah. Which in turn was, uh, was a shame because in future years when I, uh, when it did start to have certain issues, A, I'm not sure how many people would have believed me if I told them and B, even in my own head, I didn't feel allowed to have those issues. Yeah, I think Asperger's and the sort of what what goes with that is is much more well known now than I guess it was back in back in the eighties and early nineties, like you said, when you was growing up. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Fast forward to I think you said it was seven years ago you got your your diagnosis. Yep. How did you feel when when you were first told? Um, I was first told. Uh, what was it? November two thousand and nine, I think. Yeah, November two thousand nine. So I was twenty four years old, and my first reaction was, "Well, that actually explains a lot." Mm. And that is, in my experience, the general reaction from autistic people when they learn about uh, about well what their neurology looks like. It's very rarely, "Oh no, I've had a curse placed on me." It's more, "Oh right, so that's why this, that, and the other." Yeah, of course. I'm not I'm not going to lie. For the, uh, for a little while, it took me a while to make peace with being autistic. But I think that was more a reflection of what my self esteem was like at the time and what I was going through at, uh, at the time. And I spent a while uh, thinking of autism as a synonym for everything that is wrong with me. And it took me a little a little while to escape that. And a, a lot of the work that I do is for, uh, with autistic people or in fact their families who who still uh, end up accidentally or deliberately seeing autism as a synonym for everything that is wrong with me and in fact i used to say someday yeah this is the sentence you used to use some days i wake up and thank the lord for giving me asperger's syndrome other days i wake up and ask him what he was playing at <laughs> and that was truly how uh, how i felt at the time yeah. but i thankfully i was intellectually aware of my strengths even though I wasn't exactly in a place in life where I was allowed to play to them so it it helps to have it explained in a positive way because even if life is not going well like it wasn't for me at least you have the knowledge that you do have strengths you're allowed to have strengths and autism is more than just the miserable parts so what what was it that helped you uh, come to a better place of understanding and and feeling more positive about, about your diagnosis uh, being given the chances to play to my strengths. In fact, right. in the um, in the uh, Patreon sp- uh, supporters group, uh, uh, Autism Not uh, Not Weird, uh, it's this nice little uh, private group of pe- uh, people who enable me to uh, do Autism Not Weird as an actual job. And we've we've invented this uh, uh, this Autistic Not Weird drinking game. And pretty much the first rule is take a shot every time Chris says play to your strengths. <laughs> and uh, I, I make no apologies for that, by the way, because it's just about the most important advice I can uh, possibly give. Yeah. Because um, I remember g- uh, going from 
but I wasn't exactly unemployed. I was supply teaching, so right at the bottom rung and always feeling like I was on the periphery of school cultures and kind of struggling for a sense of belonging. And then I decided, you know what, stuff this. I'm going to see if I can work in a special school. I got a job in a special school and suddenly I was uh, talking to uh, teenagers who personality-wise were pretty similar to me at their age, uh, except with either academic learning difficulties or, to be frank, some of them just being bullied out of mainstream. And I actually started to open up about my Asperger's syndrome and start to talk about um, how I'd managed to do, do things. And I was not only doing the things I was good at, I was being seen to be doing the things I was good at. And also I discovered a, um, a talent for working with and helping more visibly disabled students as well and realised exactly how much I loved it. So I was suddenly in a place where I loved what I did and people believed I was good at what I did. So that's really the advice to give to autistic pe uh, people everywhere. Learn what you're good at. In, in some cases, learn that you are actually allowed to be good at stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, then after that, find opportunities in life, whether voluntary or paid, where you can actually do the things you're good at. Yeah, I, I think that's that's good advice that could apply to anybody, really, isn't it? It's... Uh, I find that a lot of advice to give to autistic people uh, applies to the general population yeah. because, well, uh, dare I say, autistic people are people too. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you mentioned you you began working in a special needs school and you was working in mainstream before. I think a lot of people would assume that uh, autistic adults would would maybe find some of the things that come along with that quite difficult. Uh, you mean mainstream or special ed? Uh, just work, working in a, as a teacher in in general with the whole, you know, trying to deal with a classroom of children, trying to uh, interact with all of them and the different personalities and the unpredictability. Like, how how did you find teaching? Um, rather interestingly, what what I do these days, my special needs tutoring it's uh, me with one or two students at a time they yeah. call that intensive student tutoring but to me it's not intensive if anything it's relaxing because i uh, like i said i come from a background of working with 30 children at the same time all different brains and different needs and uh, and so on so teaching was difficult to get right not uh, not just be, uh, because of things that I didn't find accessible, but uh, in some cases because of the way that the education system is designed, like um, Ofsted pretty much decide that you must have a certain type of brain in order to be outstanding, which uh, I think I'm exaggerating a little bit there, and I don't want to discourage other autistic people from going into teaching, because <laughs> I honestly believe that every student needs to have at least one autistic teacher before they leave school, because it's so important to learn things from people who have a different mindset. Yeah. But, well, I'm not going to lie, it was difficult. And I'm not going to lie, there wasn't an extra layer of difficulty on top of it because of my Asperger's syndrome. But eventually, I I believe I did find a way of getting it right. I did find a way of primary school teaching and being autistic at the same time. I suppose eventually I managed to find that balance because I found ways that work for me at the same time as following standards uh, the laid down by Ofsted and schools policies and so on. But what I loved about special ed is uh, its sheer flexibility. But, uh, they say that um, autistic people rely on routine helplessly. And so, in some cases, well, I'm not going to use the word help, uh, helplessly. It's, it, it's just 
good to have routine. It's nice to keep things predictable because you'd rather you'd rather know what you're doing than not know what you're doing. It's sure. very logical, really. <laughs> but with all that said, I love the fact that there's uh, so much flexibility in special education. Bear in mind that primary school teaching pretty much knocked out the reliance any reliance on routine that I ever had. <laughs> but uh, these days. I turn up to work with a vague plan, and if I can follow the plan, that's great. But if a student turns up uh, uh, turns up with certain issues that need dealing with, then I can change that plan without a problem. Whereas at, at primary school teaching, every teacher knows that uh, no lesson ever goes 100% to the lesson plan, but it's expected to go 100% to the lesson plan anyway. Whereas in, in fact, in Whereas in special education, it's more of a case of if it works for the students, then it works for the students. Yeah, I mean, that, that's both my boys are in a special needs school. And I think that's the exact reason there is that mm. everything's designed around their individual needs rather than uh, trying to work towards a curriculum and, and everybody in the class achieving a minimum level and, and things like that. So, uh, Oh, yeah. That's one extra thing I didn't like about teaching it, actually, the fact that if... I could get the majority of my pupils to uh, uh, meet uh, expectation, expectations in terms of progress and so on, then I was considered a good teacher. Yeah. If less than the majority have made it, but everyone in the class was more confident, had a better love of learning and was more enthusiastic about, uh, about learning, then that's, that's called being inadequate. <laughs> so, yeah, but... I think one of the reasons that uh, I left teaching was uh, I'm probably sounding a bit bitter about it. And, you know, maybe I am. I don't, I don't want to be because I, I do have good memories of the people that I knew in teaching, staff, children. That they're, they're all awesome. Except I went into teaching not with the purpose of putting knowledge in people's heads, but in order to build people up as people. Yeah. And unfortunately, in mainstream teaching, that's something that you pretty much have to do in your spare time. But, yeah. You don't get assessed on how well you can build a person up. It's how well you can build up their intellect. Whereas in special education, obviously you're building up intellect, but it comes more in the, in the sense of independent skills and life skills and things like that. And that by its very nature involves a lot of people building. Yeah. And I can see that's obviously a very clear passion of yours. Yeah. I still work uh, voluntarily with the boys brigade to this day. And I grew up in the local boys brigade company as uh, some bright sparks suggest I should become captain when uh, the previous captain retired. And that, that was another reason I felt comfortable leaving teaching be, uh, because I, I would still be able to build up young people, but I'd be able to do it voluntarily on my own terms. And yeah. uh, I wouldn't have to come home from uh, Boys Brigade hating it or feeling bitter to, uh, towards the job. I'm, I'm glad that I still have the opportunity to, uh, to build up children voluntarily and on a one-to-one or a one-to-two basis in uh, in special needs provision. I think that's probably where I was supposed to be all along. <laughs> where was it in this whole sort of timeline that, that suddenly the, the idea of starting your own blog came about? <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I left teaching with the intention of becoming a school business manager because, well, long story short, you know how I was telling you about that amazing uh, special school job that I had? Yeah. Well, um, I lost my job along with half the staff when the senior leadership team suddenly realised that the school was more than half a million pounds in deficit. I know. Uh, yeah, uh, officially, nobody knows how. But then they came up with this 
forward-thinking initiative to raise standards or some crap like that, which just happened to involve doubling the class sizes and halving the staff. Wow. And, yeah, some of us expressed concern about the thoughts that um, very fast teenagers with literally no sense of danger would be, oh, just fine with half the adults around. Yeah. But uh, no, our concerns were ignored. And um, it, in the end, they they didn't really need to make anyone redundant because it became such a toxic workplace that half the staff just voluntarily left. So anyway, I'm, uh, I'm meandering a little bit. But, uh, basically, the, the plan after leaving teaching was to become a school business manager because of seeing what happens to great schools when the money runs out. But um, in order to become a school business manager, you have to start right at the bottom wrong with the most basic a- a- admin job and also try and get a job in a in an industry where every admin job requires at least six months in admin, like needing jobs to get experience, experience to get a job. Mm-hmm. It's like being 21 again, except not in a good way. <laughs> but, but anyway, after I got a little bit tired of, um, well, to be frank, getting anxious and failing job interviews for a living, I decided, uh, you know what? I'm still keeping my Asperger's syndrome a secret from pretty much everyone, especially now I'm no longer in special ed. So, there's a lot of good that I'm not doing here. There's a lot of people who I'm not building up. And obviously, I'm not going to become school business manager for years and years and years. So I might as well, well tell the whole internet about me. Uh, that's what I did. And, well, I think it was one of my better decisions looking back. Yeah, definitely. It's clearly changed your life. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's no understatement. <laughs> Having read through some of your, uh, well, quite a few of your articles, but, but I thought we could talk about um, some of the things you you, you touch on in, in some of your most popular posts. And I think one of them, uh, the most popular I saw, were, was the tips you had for teenagers with Asperger's. Uh, yeah, I wrote that. Just over, In fact, I think it was, yeah, according to the calendar, three years, five days ago, and wow. just this morning up. Just this morning, I was um, uh, answering someone who wanted a uh, printable version of it because I, I offer printable versions of it out yeah. to well, yeah, anyone who asks, really. So it's it's quite surprising how enduring that article has been. It's uh, it's actually not the most well-read article. The uh, the most well-read article written is called Five Ways to Damage Autistic Children Without Even Knowing. Yeah. Because obviously the internet loves negativity, but the the one that had the most uh, the most, uh, I don't know what the word is. Uh, I want to use the word positive. There's a bit more, uh, more than that. Maybe thankful. The, the one that the internet seems to be the most grateful for is the uh, the article that wrote specifically for autistic teenagers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the best things I've done with the site. So do you want to um, just maybe touch on a, a few of those? Um, I have to admit, I've not actually read the article in a while, so I'm going okay. to so you can uh, uh, freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, what? It doesn't have to be from the article exactly, but what what tips maybe would you... Right, well, well, you're going to have to um, take a shot, I'm afraid, because my first piece of advice is play to your strengths. <laughs> and uh, like like I said earlier, in no uncertain terms, find out what you're good at, recognise that you are allowed to be good at stuff, and find opportunities in life where, uh, where you can do it, where you have opportunities to do what you're good at and to be seen for what you're good at. And also know that it's better to be the real version of you than a fake version of someone else and trying to turn yourself non-autistic so you can match other people's social expectations better 
isn't really something you should be aiming for. In fact, in my extensive experience, it's actually really damaging. Yeah. Worst years of my life were, uh, were the ones where I tried to make myself less autistic because I thought other people would think more of me or at least stop thinking less of me. And it turns out that A, I couldn't be normal if I tried. In fact, I literally did try and it just didn't work. <laughs> and uh, people still looked down on me, except I didn't quite know how to handle it because I was pretty much speaking a foreign language at the time. And the other side of it is, even if I did succeed in becoming completely normal, I'd be the only human being who'd consider myself normal. All these people who say that autistic people need to try and be more normal tend to be, in my experience, and it's the same people who, who take a level of pride in saying, oh, well, I'm slightly weird. Oh, I'm a little bit odd. And I often say, well, I'm the guy who has it literally in writing from a professional who I have a slightly odd personality. But, <laughs> but yeah, don't change yourself, uh, change yourself to satisfy other people. F find the best way of being yourself and find, find, find groups of people who appreciate the real you rather than expect you to come up with this fake version of yourself. Yeah. And uh, I could go on all day about uh, about this but the last thing that's uh they'd like to cover is tip number one in the article which is you are not alone mm. and autism can feel bloody isolating if you're the only autistic person you know it's yeah. uh, pretty analogous to our, how isolating i imagine being a parent to uh, children with special needs is if you're the only parent you know to children with special needs and uh the internet may be the best and worst of humanity but it's it's, I don't know what people did before the internet when they, when they felt isolated. I think it's fantastic that, uh, autism related communities can uh, come together, share their insights and just say to each other, yeah, I get it. And you're actually not alone. Yeah. I mean, f from your experience, obviously you didn't know as a teenager that you were autistic, but. Oh, I knew it was weird. <laughs> yeah. Did you remember sort of feeling isolated and, and, and like not knowing anybody else who was quite similar to you, maybe? Yeah, it was, um, oh, how do I put this? Uh, I felt two conflicting feelings because there's, there's a difference between feeling isolated and feeling lonely, but uh, I guess I'm, I felt isolated in the sense that I, I was clearly the only person I knew who had my kind of brain. I didn't, I didn't even know what kind of brain I had, but I knew that other people didn't have it. Yeah. But I'm very grateful that a lot of the time I didn't feel lonely because I may have been surrounded by completely weird people who seem, seem to have this monopoly on what normal was supposed to be, even though they were the weird ones. <laughs> but they, uh, they were, well, okay, the people who, the people who I hung, hung around with and the people who I, uh, the people I knew to be supportive were the ones who would accommodate me with all my weirdness. And that really helped. And they may have been the only person I knew with my kind of brain, but occasionally I'd meet people who would, accommodate me anyway would like me anyway despite my well what they believe to be my weirdness so just because you're the only person who thinks the way that you do doesn't mean that it's your job to be lonely or it's your job to not have, have any friends yeah and I, th I think that's how can i put it one of the sort of well-founded myths about autistic people is, is that you know that they're, they're not sociable and they oh they, yeah that one. you know they're not we good are... at building friendships but but I think you, you kind of, yeah, you kind of uh, hit it there that it's more about finding people who you're around, people who accept you for who you are, then you will build friendships. 
yeah, I mean, we're extremely sociable as long as we're given permission to socialize on, on our own terms. Yeah. I, I remember two students who I used to work with, but uh, both of whom profoundly disabled, but they were clearly friends. Uh, they may have been 100% nonverbal, but they would just look at each other occasionally, look each other in the eyes, I might add. And then they, one of them would just start laughing, then the other would start laughing back. And uh, I don't know what they're laughing about. Maybe they're just laughing because they were happy. And well, yeah. what a reason do you need? <laughs> uh, the, uh, these guys were very much friends and enjoying each other's company. And with each of these students, if they tried that with a non-autistic person who's had social expectations hammered into them, that person would probably think, wait, what are you doing and why are you laughing at me? But, yeah. but they understood each other and yeah, if we get socialized on, on our own terms, no, uh, whatever those terms are, whatever degree or type of autism we have, then we can be extremely sociable. Yeah, and I think the phrase you used there, social expectations, is, is really important. That, you know, if, if we can break those down, then it's much easier for, for people to socialize. Yeah, well, I understand why there is a need for social expectations, but even from an autistic perspective, it's it's helpful to know what kind of behavior to expect from other people because it, people are easy when they're predictable, let, uh, let's be fair. But at the same time, you want those social expectations to be understandable. You want them to actually make sense. Like, I, I don't know what elbows on the table is, is all about and why you're not supposed to do that. But yeah, that's a, that's that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I don't know why, I'm, uh, why when I was a mainstream teacher, I was supposed to wear a tie to school. It really doesn't make sense that you're not allowed to be considered smart unless you put your neck in the noose. <laughs> but yeah, I understand the need for social expectations, but they need to be accessible and they need to actually make sense. Yeah. And that they need to be easily taught as well. Like I said, easily accessible to people, whatever kinds of brain they have. Great. You mentioned earlier uh, when I was talking about your blog posts that one, the actually most popular one, which can maybe be seen because it's got a, a negative in the how <laughs> to damage autistic children yeah. without even knowing uh, i meant i didn't mean it as a um negative clickbaity title it's just honestly the most suitable title I yeah come it, up with. it fits uh, definitely fits the, the internet likes it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I, I like to think they like the contents more than the title but yeah from a personal point of view that's um something i've always been keen to try and learn from you know, autistic teenagers and adults is, you know, is to try and obviously I'm hoping to be the best parent I can be and to, to help mm -hmm. my boys thrive. Um, so I always look for advice like that from to learn from other people's experiences. So I always see it as a positive, not as a as a negative in itself. Awesome. But could you maybe uh, explain a, a couple of those points that, that you thought would be useful for parents to know? Okay, well, the very first one I made reference to, this is what not to do, by the way. Number one was talk about them like they're not in the room. Mm -hmm. Because just because someone's not looking at you doesn't mean that their ears magically stop working. And just because they don't talk doesn't mean that they can't listen. Yeah. And, uh, and also just because, uh, they don't, uh, again, this goes back to social expectations and just because they don't communicate the way that the general population does, doesn't mean that they it doesn't mean that they can't access information or interpret information like everyone else even even people with very noticeable severe learning difficulties in my experience 
can tell whether or not a person likes them. And, well, one of the really big clues about whether or not someone likes you is um, how they talk about you behind your back. Or in the case of the autistic students with very noticeable learning difficulties, how they talk about you right in front of you when they think falsely that you're not listening. And there's a um, a very badly drawn stick figure uh, cartoon that I put alongside that point, which is uh, an adult next to uh, someone who's playing an autistic child. And th this parent is talking to another person and they're saying, oh, look, uh, life is so hard raising a, ch a child like him. I really uh, wish he wasn't autistic and so on. And first things first, I, I get that uh, that parents need to express themselves. Otherwise, it, it drives you crazy if you don't uh, don't express yourselves and you don't talk about the hurt and so on. But if you do it while your child is right there, even if they're looking the other way, because in this cartoon, the thought bubble coming from the nonverbal child's head is, um, I'm right here, but yeah. um, that's that's good to know. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, uh, the moral of the story is, if you're going to uh, talk negatively about autism-related challenges, which is completely understandable, please, please, please don't do it in a um, in an environment where your child might actually hear you because the, uh, they are likely to be listening and they will definitely understand it. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. I, I think, as you said, sometimes when children are non-verbal and, you know, you've tried to communicate with them in, in so many ways, you, you may assume that they don't understand just because they're not giving you the response that, that you want. Oh, one of the most heart-meltingly wonderful things I've ever seen on the internet was uh, there's uh, there's a page run by a friend of mine. It's called um, Maddox's Autumn Chronicles. And it's about uh, this lad, Maddox. He's 11-ish, uh, 12-ish, but when he, he gave this quote, he was... Uh, I think it was about nine years old uh, when he said it. Yeah. And he just said completely out of the blue to, uh, to his, his mum, uh, Mum, do you remember before I had my words and you'd say, I love you, Maddox, and I didn't say anything back? I was saying it back in my thoughts. <laughs> and wow, that is powerful. Yeah, I love Maddox and Shelley. Yeah, uh, when he's finally able to express himself with spoken English, he can actually say what he was thinking. Yeah. And I, I, I can sympathise with, uh, with his mother, who was possibly, possibly I, I don't know personally, but she may have been thinking at, at the time, has he heard what I said? Does he understood what I said? And therefore, does he even know that I love him? And well, yes, he did. And he was listening and he absolutely understood. And I hope that brings a little bit of comfort to the people whose, whose children may never be verbal, but take it from a non-verbal child who subsequently became verbal. Yeah, he hears understands or she hears and understands uh, it's a really it's a really good positive story uh, and yeah it's definitely something to hold on to um i know uh well i'm sure i definitely know you're aware of how negative the internet can be at times um i am extremely aware yes <laughs> around uh, the autism community and if you have an opinion it, it can be shot down quite easily but like a lot of things on the internet to be fair I think it's amplified within the autism community, though, because a lot of people who are approaching the subject are approaching it from a position of being hurt. Mm. Autistic adults get, uh, get hurt because, well, first of all, just from the general life experience of being in the world designed with everyone else in mind. Yeah. They're also hurt by the fact that having fought through those challenges and in some cases literally survived those challenges, they grow up 
starts to try speaking for themselves to find that it's non-autistic people talking about autistic people that dominates the discussion. So uh, on the one hand, that's hurtful to them. On the other hand, you've got parents of autistic children who are also coming from a position of hurt because they live in a world that doesn't really understand their children, doesn't often doesn't don't really provide for their children, and all too often this isolates the parents as uh, as well. And yeah, so. Uh, I'm going to use the word sides, but I don't mean it because I don't believe that there should be sides. But both uh, both sides can meet the subject from uh, positions of being hurt for too long by too many pe- uh, people about subjects very close to their heart. Yeah, and you know everybody has a right to have an opinion on on, on these things. Uh, you know, you're telling uh, your story from your own experience. So, you know, it- oh yeah, that, that's that's another reason, but why. Uh, why and this isn't just uh, the autism community. This is people in general sharing their experiences. Often there are uh, people who aren't exactly flexibly minded. So if some, uh, something is different to my perspective, then it must be wrong. Yeah. Like even coming down to, uh, to watching films, if I if I watched a film and I absolutely loved it, and then you tell me you saw the same film and you thought it was terrible, my first instinctive reaction is, oh, James must be wrong. And mm-hmm. that's a reflection of me. I understand their different perspectives. It's it's just people like clinging to their own opinions, and especially if they've had life experiences which really hammer them home. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I saw you had an experience uh, recently with uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, who yeah. you met, uh, Miriam, and mm-hmm. you met her and her children. Do you, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Miriam and I have become quite, uh, quite close friends, even though, and this was especially the case a few months ago, the, the internet would have believed that we were ideological opposites. And it, it, it goes beyond, I'm an autistic adult, she's a parent of autistic ch- uh, children, so we have to be on different sides. That's, uh, that's not it, because I'd say about half my friends are parents of autistic children. Yeah. But yeah, Miriam writes a lot of the things that parents of children with special needs may think, may feel, but don't feel allowed to talk about. And on the one hand, I've, I've always I've always appreciated the need for such articles because, well, I said it earlier in the interview, if you, if you don't talk about uh, your issues and you don't talk about how isolated you are, it just increases the feeling of isolation. Unfortunately, uh, around the time that, uh, that we met, quite a few of our, uh, maybe in Bay Popper with uh, parents of autistic children, but kind of rubbed autistic adults the, uh, the wrong way and I, I won't go into, uh, into all the details but I I, I basically decided to look past all, all that because well uh, well we were friends by that point so I thought well I'm coming up, uh, coming up to your hometown to del- deliver a few talks might as well meet up for fish and chips so I did and I recently wrote, uh, wrote an article, well each of us wrote an article about, about the experience because I, I didn't mean for it to be life changing for either of us but it kind of bended up being yeah from my perspective, all I did was eat fish and chips at her house and uh, sit on the stairs next to her son, watching him uh, play with Google Street View and watching elevated videos on YouTube. But both beautifully and rather sadly as well. Apparently that was something unique and special and something that not many adults take the time to do with her son, which is re- really tragic at the same time as me feeling quite an on a position because well, he reacted so well to it. He was he was literally feeding me his dinner by, by the end of the evening, which <laughs> he, he'd not done for anyone for 
previous two years, I was, I was told after that, but he did to, to me on the on the first night we met, simply because I valued spending time with him. Yeah. I, I don't get why other people don't do that. I don't, I don't get why other people don't value spending time with children uh, just because they have noticeable disabilities or unpredictable behaviour or Okay, from a non-autistic perspective, unpredictable behaviour. But uh, this ended up being quite a classic case of how to talk to, uh, to someone who you don't agree on it, everything with, whilst also not falling out of them, not calling them names over the internet. And in my experience, if you want to get anywhere with, uh, this goes beyond autism, but let's talk about autism awareness and acceptance. If you want to achieve anything, it involves talking about things with people who you do have differing opinions with. Yeah. And uh, ironically, a few months on, me and Miriam agree on pretty much everything now. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> at the time, we were uh, we had this reputation of being on opposite sides of this divide. And uh, I don't think either of us wanted that. We were quite happy to just discuss our perspectives and and watch YouTube, basically. <laughs> so that, uh, that that's how you do it. You uh, If you want to... True, awesome understanding. Talk to the people who you're not supposed to get on with. Talk to the yeah. people who you're not supposed to agree with. Share your perspective and listen to the other person when uh, when they share theirs. Yeah, I think that's really important because I think, like you said at the beginning of this of this interview, you know, things are changing quite rapidly. Uh, not before time, but you know, autism acceptance is becoming something that's that's increasing every day and. I think it would really help if there wasn't such a split at times that mm. that people could see that, of course, autistic uh, voices should be heard, uh, parents' voices should be heard, professionals' voices should be heard. Everyone, you know, everyone within the community has a different part they can play and, and yeah. knowledge that I they think can it's, give and share. Mm, I think it's especially important when, when you have groups such as Autism Speaks, for, for example, who um, I think they've only just amended their mission statement to remove uh, to remove the word cure for, uh, from what they're trying to do. Yeah. But historically, they've been seen by well, not just autistic people, but also families of autistic people as well, as essentially a hate group. And when you've got enormous, well-funded organisations uh, like that who are talking about uh, finding the autism genes so they can... Uh, prevent autistic people from being born mm. and well, uh, good luck on finding the next generation of uh, genetic scientists if you wipe out autism but, <laughs> um, but well, when you've got hugely influential figures saying very unhealthy things about autism it, it's down to the reasonable balanced people who want to build up autistic people to be the best they can be to not demonise autistic people and yeah. A lot of that involves putting on our big boy pants and learning how to uh, get on well with the people whose life experiences are different to ours. Oh, exactly. That's, that's a good point. And obviously that's something that you're you're doing, uh, playing a really active role in with your blog and with your... So t- tell me about your public speaking. How, how did that come about? <laughs> well, I've always been terrified of public speaking. But right back to church readings when I was 12, which went badly and... I was never told I had a speech delay, but I knew it. And 
you know, e- even today, I'm, I'm only really good at speaking fluent sentences if I've planned them in advance or if I've said them a number of times before. I often say that uh, 50% of my sentences are scripted, including this one I'm speaking right now. <laughs> but anyway, when I was thinking of uh, uh, launching this blog and I was uh, thinking of different names, a former colleague of mine from uh, from the special school worked out. She was one of the people I was bouncing ideas off. And she said, right out, right out of nowhere one day, you know how you're just about to go public being autistic? Well, I now work for an educational provider and we've had a lot of training from people with fancy pants doctorates in psychology and so on, but we've never actually heard from an autistic person, especially non-autistic mm-hmm. former teacher. So... Uh, long story short, would you mind delivering training to our group? Oh, by the way, it's on Tuesday. <laughs> so so I'm um, thrown in at the deep end. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. But then I thought, you know what? Stuff it. I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I spent uh, spent the whole weekend putting together this uh, this talk and memorized it c- uh, completely, built up all the guts to uh, uh, to talk about mods in front of a bunch of people I'd never met before, which was something enormous at the time. And then I... I made the journey from Nottingham to Derby, but before I ma- uh, managed to get out of Nottingham, my engine overheated and my car broke down. Oh, no. Yeah, and I, I was uh, I was stood outside my car with no idea what on earth was going on, thinking, no, 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 stories aren't supposed to end like this. This is supposed <laughs> to be the beginning of something. And you, oh, but at that exact moment, uh, I know I'm meandering from the original point of the question, but I'm telling you this because it's a funny story. Uh, at that exact moment. The, uh, the lady whose house I'd, I'd broken down outside uh, walks out to post a letter in the letterbox across the road. I ask her, oh, um, I don't suppose you know anything about overeating engines, do you? And in what I refer to this day as that day's reason to believe in God, she turned around and called into her house to her husband, who was a mechanic. <laughs> and it turns out... Of all the houses between Nottingham and Derby, I could have broken down in front of it. It turns out there's quite a few to break down outside the mechanic's house. And in all of the, all of the hours during that day where his wife could have popped out to post that letter, she chose that yeah. window of time where I had just only just broken down outside a house. Wow! So it turns out the engineer needed to top up the water, and that was enough to get to Derby. But it's uh, there, there was no way I could have known that. And then I arrived at the venue, walked through the doors, and thought. Okay, the nerve-wracking part's over. The rest of it's going to be easy, <laughs> and, and it was easy. It was just fun. And uh, s- uh, since then, I've uh, I've spoken to parent groups, charities, um, the Boys Brigade National Conference in Northern Ireland, um, Sydney Opera House, and I mentioned <laughs> NHS groups, CAMS groups. Um, uh, but basically, oh, oh yeah, special schools as well. T- uh, talking to the students is always. Amazing. They're, they're probably my favourite talks actually going into a special school and talking not just to the staff and the parents, but the students themselves. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, not just something that it turns out I'm becoming fairly successful at. It's something that I absolutely love. And after I left teaching, I was warned that not everyone gets to love their jobs. So don't be too choosy in, in, uh, in trying to find a job. But I ended up actually finding one that I loved anyway. It sounds like it. It sounds like you've definitely found your calling. So, all right, just before uh, we wrap this interview up with, with the final question, just want to say a quick thank you, Chris, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. For 
everything that you're doing with raising autism awareness and improving the acceptance and you know really I think educating so many people with your own experiences and the advice you've got for families and for for autistic individuals as well I think it's it's fantastic what you're doing thanks so on that note do you want to just remind everybody where they can find you if they want to follow your stories okay well the um the website itself is autisticnotweird.com. Uh, there's no www dots. It's just autisticnotweird.com. Um, e before I in weird, by the way. <laughs> and yeah, I probably should have chosen an easier word to spell than weird. But um, the Facebook community is well, just search autisticnotweird on Facebook. The actual web address is facebook.com/autisticnotweird. And my Patreon page where you can find bonus material and uh, get various rewards and perks as a thank you for helping to do what to do. That's patreon.com slash autistic not weird. And yeah, th- those are basically the, the main three sites, the, the main sites. But I'm also on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube as well. I do a series of um, three minute autism advice videos on YouTube as well. Excellent. So yeah, everybody make sure to, to go and check out Chris's page and, and read some more. As I say, he's got some really good insight and some great advice on there so final question just to leave everybody with what's one thing you'd like them to know about autism um are we talking people in general or your specific Uh, yeah just anything you'd like people to know i suppose the most important thing about autism is that first and foremost we're all individuals with our own rich and wonderful personalities and Autistic people in general may not care how much you know about autism, but they'll care how much you understand about them. And I'd like to repeat, uh, repeat what I've said earlier and make you take another shot and uh, say find opportunities for autistic people to uh, play to uh, play to their strengths. Because autistic people actually have a lot more in common with the general population than we're made out to have. And one of the things we really do have in common is that when we get chances to play to our strengths, well, can we play to our strengths? Well, there you have it. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining me and sharing so many of your experiences. I really hope that everyone that you found it as interesting and informative as I did. Um, Chris made a really good point there towards the end about focusing on the individual. One of the reasons I started this podcast is to help try and show the world just how different autism is for everybody. As the saying goes, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So if you can start by treating them as an individual first you'll find us a much better way of getting to understand and to know them. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and there'll be a new podcast coming out next week and I hope you'll join me then.